0: Hello, all. My name is Dale, and I asked myself to speak today, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good... Okay, okay. Like uh, many of you, uh, when my daughter was young, she's uh, 22, 23, but when she was like five, we signed her up to play soccer. So you may have signed your kids up to play soccer at some point. You may have visions of grandeur that your child was gonna be the soccer star that you never were. My daughter was terrible at soccer. <laughs> but what she did do really well was the coach told her to stand in a certain spot. So she would. Like she would stand in this spot. The, the ball was like 10 feet away from her. She's like, I wonder who's getting that. <laughs> because I'm in my spot. So, of course, the games were all like, it. they felt like they were at 6 a.m., probably 8, but it just felt early, right? And your shoes are all wet, we're watching her. And and I think she touched the ball about twice, like the whole season. (laughs) But there was this moment, and during this one game, she was playing, she was standing where the defense stands, (laughs) and they're playing against a team that was pretty good, I guess, for 5-year-olds. I don't know, it was a big, big game. They were favored by 12 or something. <laughs> so her friend was actually, I guess, the big goal scorer on the team. Um, let's call her Kimmy, because that's, that was her name, Kimmy. <laughs> so we'll call her that. So I noticed during the game that Kimmy was this big star, and here was my daughter Anna standing in her spot, that uh, she, my daughter, because one of the things you, if you know my daughter, she has the gift of an amazing amount of words in a short amount of time. She talks a lot. So she got into this conversation with Kimmy. And to the point where I started noticing she is distracting Kimmy from the game. And at one point, Kimmy's back was actually turned to all the action that was happening because Anna was just talking about something. And I was like, oh my gosh. She's not playing soccer, but she's shutting the other team down right now. <laughs> then there came a point in the game where the, the coach of the other team was Kimmy's dad. He was a friend of mine. And he's like, Kimmy, pay attention. And I said, Anna, keep talking to Kimmy. <laughs> and then he said, Kimmy, get away from Anna. <laughs> and then I said, Anna, wherever Kimmy goes, you go. Just keep talking. Kimmy didn't score that game. <laughs> and my friend looked at me and said, Dale, this isn't how we teach them to play the game. I'm like, you teach your way, I'll teach mine. <laughs> that even though there was a success in that moment for my daughter, she had no idea. She just heard her dad saying, keep talking. And that was like the greatest thing she's ever heard. Cause usually it was, Anna, stop talking. It would really be a shame if she now stepped into that saying, I am really good at soccer because all you need to do in soccer is talk. That if she grew up and she'd be asked to coach a team and she goes, I know how to coach, and you just tell them distraction and talking and you never really practice that one of the big ideologies of soccer would be just to talk. Now, of course, that would be an exaggeration, but how foolish would it be if she took that one ideology and placed it on top of everything? You see, just as this was is an incomplete philosophy of this game, I wonder how often we bring an incomplete, or at least an inconsistent ideology or philosophy of how we live. Meaning, what are we actually living for? How do we make decisions? What are the results we hope to see when we look back one day? And from what I see and talk to people for a lot of years, it's pretty common that simply people kind of piecemeal ideologies or foundations or what life seems to be about for them. For many people, at least people I know, they may take some of the things they hear at church, like, oh, I like when you said this or that one or that story about this. I'll take those pieces. And, you know, some of the things Jesus says sounds pretty good. I like him. I don't like other parts of the Bible because, ah, that's, that one's a little rough. But I like the, some of the things that Jesus says. And then I have some conversations with some friends at work, and they're pretty good conversations, and I like some of the things of how they word things, so I add that to it. You know, I listen to some podcasts, and I listen to some pretty smart people, so I kind of grab some of those things, too, and I create it. Oh, I saw this good documentary on Netflix they had another view and I kind of incorporate that as well and there's some family of origin stuff within me like how I grew up and I'm either pushing that away or I'm embracing that and so I put all of those things together and that's my piecemeal philosophy of life and recently we've heard so often this phrase probably more than I used to hear it is I just got to be true to myself I got to be me And we embrace that sometimes. But I'm going to ask you this morning, what does that mean? Are you taking an incomplete, piecemeal philosophy of life and placing everything upon that, something that's not even coherent? And I think we always have to ask ourselves, are the things I'm basing my life on, no matter where they come from, are they leading me to where I want to be, or are they pulling me away from who I want to be? Could this be this embracing of my own truth resonates because we don't actually have this coherent ideology or philosophy of our lives? It's this thing called telos. It's like a purpose. Aristotle explained it a telos, or the final course, is the idea that for everything there is a purpose, there is a goal. To simply put this, the purpose of the eye is to see, the purpose of a knife. Is to cut. The purpose of a life is to what? That's what this day is about. So, what have you built your life upon? What do you want your life to be? In his amazing book, this man, William Irvine, wrote this book called The Guide to the Good Life. A section he writes this What do you want out of life? You might answer this question by saying that you want a caring spouse, a good job, and a nice house. But these are really just some of the things you want in life. In asking what you want out of life, I'm asking you the question in its broadest sense. I'm asking not for the goals you form as you go about your daily activities, but for your grand goal in living. In other words, of the things in life you might pursue, which is the thing you believe to be the most valuable? Many people will have trouble naming this goal. They know what they want minute by minute or even decade by decade during their life, but they have never paused to consider their grand goal in living it's perhaps understandable that they haven't. Our culture doesn't encourage people to think about such things. Indeed, it provides them with an endless stream of distractions so they don't ever have to. But a grand goal in living in the first component of a philosophy of life. This means that if you lack a grand goal in living, you actually lack a coherent philosophy of life. So why is it important to have such a philosophy? Because without one, There is a danger that you will mislive, that despite all of your activity, despite all the pleasant diversions you might have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. There is, in other words, a danger that when you hit a significant age or number, whatever that age or number is, that you hope to have done things by, you will look back and realize that you have wasted your one chance at living Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various baubles life has to offer. Another way of saying this in a sentence, we can end up being really, really, really good at things that just don't really matter at all. So since our day-to-day is so full of distractions, And it's hard to stop and pause and consider. And since you're already here dressed up and sitting in a seat, let's take some time to pause and consider. During this season of language, the 40 days leading up to this time of Easter of celebration where we've looked inwardly as a church, and you start to see things about your own life And you start to consider things of how you want to change, the things you want to give back to God, we've been looking at this this passage from the Apostle Paul, this poem, it's almost like a creed that we've been studying line by line, and today is the great and ultimate climax of that. It goes like this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient in death, even death on a cross. But there's hope. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So in these verses, we have seen and we see today that Jesus is the model of amazing generosity, giving up the things that he had for the benefit of other people of this relentless trust that he placed in his father as he became human and trusted God's plan, of his outward and inward humility so that the result would be a reigning king, the Lord and our high priest and our friend that invites us all the way in. So from this, what is our response to Paul? What are our response to these words? Because to simply hear words and not respond, as the writer James says, it's like looking in the mirror, see what you need to fix, and you just walk away as if nothing happened. When we're about the causes of Jesus, our lives are in our relationships. And the things we want our life to be about should bring about more life. Another way of saying this, the greatest gift you can give your family, your friend, your spouse, your boss, any environment you're in, the greatest gift you can actually give them is to be the presence of Jesus in their lives. The point Paul makes is that following Jesus is the coherent philosophy of life. It's the thing to build our lives upon. But one of the great struggles we have is not just that we don't have time to cause to ponder and wonder, we also just ignore what's actually in front of us. If we can pretend things are different or things are better or things are more positive, that things are getting better, that our piecemeal philosophy of life is going to hold it together, we actually aren't seeing the score. There's this thing called re-gifting. Do you know this? Sometimes it shows up, you're opening a gift, and you instantly think, oh, this is nice, but I know somebody else who might want this. And not that they even want it, but it's good enough to like, repackage and give it to them so they can give it to somebody else. Right? It's not like a total dive, but it's pretty close to it. It's not quite white elephant gift exchange. It's a little better than that, but not quite as good as a gift that you would want. We re-gift a lot. We don't just re-gift packages and gifts and presents, we re-gift our words. We pass things on that are pretty good, good enough, might make us sound smart, we might tweet it, we might Instagram post it, we might put it on Facebook if you're above 50. (laughs) I am. (laughs) But we pass things on without really even thinking, is this a coherent input? I remember my freshman football coach, He had this ideology, which a lot of people have. He was always nervous that whatever the score was at halftime, we would give less effort in the second half because of it. So if we were behind by 48 points at halftime, he'd say, guys, the score is zero, zero. I mean, I was way too bruised up for the score to be zero to zero. But I'm like, okay. Or if we were ahead by four, we were never ahead by 48. If we were ahead by seven, He's like, guys, the score is 0-0 zero, zero, because he wanted to make sure what he was really trying to do was mani- mentally manipulate us so that we would give an effort no matter what the score was. It's 0-0, zero, zero, and then we would chant back, it's 0-0, zero, zero, coach, and we'd run out on the field and inevitably you see the scoreboard and it says 48 to nothing. And as I got into coaching, I didn't realize this, but I passed on this ideology to my team because I didn't know what to say. So my like, guys, it's zero, zero, we can do this. And it's kind of this like, don't really face reality, but let me try to encourage you with some words or something. I remember there was a game that I was coaching and we were significantly behind at halftime. I don't remember, maybe 28 to nothing. It was tough, it was quiet in the locker room. And I remember one of my team captains jumped up and said, guys, it's zero, zero. And I thought to myself, dear Lord, what have I done? (laughs) And in that moment, I said, I know that I've regifted some philosophies to you. I mean, it came, it wasn't quite this deep. Come on, they're 14 and 15 year old boys. But for this sermon, I'm gonna make it sound like I was really eloquent. (laughs) It was also much louder than this and a little bit more poignant. But I did say to them, I need to apologize because I've been telling you something that's not really that helpful. It is not zero to zero. I don't want you to just be in an environment where you feel like everything's okay even though it's not. I mean, ultimately, of course it is, it's just the game. But as far as within the game context, I said, no, we are losing 28 to nothing. And if that makes you feel like quitting, if that makes you feel like everything we've been working for isn't worth even trying, okay, don't try. If that makes you feel like it's too much to even do anything and that the second half you're just going to give up, okay, give up. But if you're willing to see that score and wonder what would it be like if I still gave all that I had and played with the urgency or the directness to change that score, then who's with me? Of course, it was even louder than that. I said a few other things. The kids were bouncing off the walls and the kid yelled out, Who cares what the score is? I'm with coach. And I'm like, oh, that sounded really good. (laughs) We pass on ideologies unknowingly to make ourselves feel safe and secure. You see, our emotions are real and they are powerful. Our emotions and your emotions will help you believe what is possible. They will also help you to think what is impossible. So our emotions can drive us both ways, but the implementation of action or the stagnation of action in relation to these emotions is what actually matters the most. It's what moves you forward or pulls you away. You see, sometimes we experience a crisis and we have recently during our pandemic. For so many reasons, the levels of anxiety and emotional stress have come for so many reasons. And one of the reasons is also because it's been placed on a of a piecework ideology of life, of how life should be, of how it could be. If I just think this certain way, if I'm just continually nice or good or right, then everything's gonna work out that way. And when it started to lose control of that, our anxiety rose. Because one of the reasons anxiety rises is because we're trying to control things that we can't grasp. It's like catching the wind. It's like grasping for mist. It goes. And what often we try to do is we put our our spiritual realm into this curated, organized physical life in an attempt to control the outcomes. And we've done this by keeping all the things that help me be me, at least as I've defined it, contained in a contained control environment. And so often we call these our safe places. Free from certain feelings or words that we think are attacking this space. But when we spend more time just hiding and protecting our emotional and spiritual lives, I think we might be actually better off doing something else. We might be better off developing really healthy spaces with people where courage is discovered and courage is implemented. Because courage comes from a place of solid foundation. Courage comes from a place of a consistent way of life that Jesus said, I have considered the cost and I came. Courage comes from a place where God said the same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is now in you. God keeps us safe and God causes us to have courage. As my wife tells her kindergarten class every day, we can do hard things. When a child doesn't want to try, she says, Remember, we can do what? And the child says, We can do hard things. And even if it's just we can try and do hard things, it's a step. See, if we were simply relating to a robotic, indifferent God, all of this wouldn't matter. But He's not. We're often shown that after Jesus considered all the facts and once he saw the score, he came. He took care of business. You see, he's a king and a God that does not simply give advice. He does the thing that needed to be done. And that's why we celebrate. So why is this day different than all the rest? Because this is the day we remember that God created us with flesh, a soul, and a spirit. This allows us to relate to our environment, to each other, and to him simultaneously. When we separate those things into individual quadrants, we become confused. They were intended to be in unison, for that is the kingdom of God. It remembers that just like we were created in his likeness, Jesus came in our likeness to address the real score, to address the scattered ideologies of life we began to implement that pulled us further away from our actual true selves. And what is our actual true self? What is the truest thing about you? Is that you are a person made in the image of God. God. It remembers that Jesus came as fully God and fully man, that he lived a perfect, sinless life that qualified him and him alone to be the sacrifice for all of us. He then conquered the price of death by rising again. This fulfills every deep longing in our heart. So many of us don't even know that's what we long for. That's what we pursue. That's why we piecemeal. Because we have something inside and we think that sounds good, that sounds good, that sounds good. But people who are created in the image of God will continue too long until they are brought back into reconciliation with the God that created them. Because this is the day not only of resurrection, my friends, this is the day of reconciliation. They cannot separate the two. You cannot separate resurrection From reconciliation. And reconciliation comes from the resurrection. As Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, he says this. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, and this is for all of us, if anyone is in Christ A new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry. Now, this is what he gives. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We see in these verses, in this declaration, in this imploring, in this tell us of what it means to follow Jesus, that we no longer are living for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. And we're called to live the life in the ministry of reconciliation. But because we have a confirmation bias, which means we think certain things within us that push some of these things away, how can I know this to be true? This confirmation bias is tell, will show you the pathway of what your really ideologies are. They will tell you the things that are in your filter, what you hear things through. They go through us. So my question for you, to think deeply and ask yourself, as we've paused and consider, do the things that you're seeing life through have your best in mind? Do they? Are you passing things on to others, something that may not have their best in mind? Reconciliation is bringing dead things to life, bringing broken to healed bringing chaotic to peace, the shalom of God. This causes us to question or simply rely on what we think following Jesus means. So in just in a couple minutes of clarity, I want to share with you, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it experience? What is true? Number one. When you follow Jesus, you now live in an active and always present reconciled relationship with the Creator and the King. Let that sit with you for a sec. Following Jesus means, too, your life is about pleasing Him, meaning you're pursuing what matters to Him, And that shapes what matters to you. You're not trying to get God's favor. You already have it. Three, and this is the one I love. Your life is new. (laughs) The old is gone. And I really love this one. Nothing is held against you ever again. The enemy will remind you of your failures, and Jesus says, not anymore. And four, you're now in an intimate relationship with the one who has been exalted to the highest place and has been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God our Father. Something that we do every time that we gather now. So if you're new, this might be new for you. If this is where you come on Easter, this will be new for you. But I invite you into this, because I don't think we can listen to God's word or his spirit and not respond in some way. But we rush to response way too fast. And we hope that you consider some of the things maybe I've said today. But we want to try and start the conversation with you and God now. So what I like to do is I like to take a posture of open-handedness to receive what God has to say. So I invite you to do that with me. You don't have to. And I want us to listen. Listen. Let's listen to God for a moment. Let me close your eyes. Just pause for a moment. Slow down your breathing a bit. Especially if, and I mean this in all sincerity, if you're anxious, what is this guy about to ask me to do? I'm not gonna ask you to do anything except just breathe. Try to slow down your thoughts. Sit silently with God. If there's other thoughts coming to your head that you're worried you might forget them, just say, God, will you bring those up later for me? Ask God, what are you asking me to respond to today, God? Just Pay attention to what comes to mind. Ask God, God, have we reconciled, you and me? If not, ask him for reconciliation right now. Ask him for his forgiveness. Let Jesus know that your desire is to follow him, but you need help. Receive his words that he's saying to you right now in your request for forgiveness. Also ask God to bring to mind if there's someone you need to live out the ministry of reconciliation with. Once again, reconciliation isn't just like you're in deep conflict, but it's also blessing. It's also bring life to. So who do you want to bring reconciliation with? Maybe they're here today. Maybe it's your friend, your spouse, your family. Ask him for names, for faces. And finally, just say some praises to God right now. Thank him for who he is and what he's done. Father, we receive you your spirit, your reconciliation on this day, the day of resurrection and reconciliation. We love you, Father, in your name, amen. During our time of response, which we know will take some time because there's lots of people here, we want to offer you choices. What we want to do is not get in the way of what God wants to do with you. We'll have audible praise and worship. You can stay in your seat. You can stand and just sing the praises. We have communion. And we take communion every week to remember. Because in this day and age, in this world, we have to at least once a week stop and pause and remember that the body and blood of Jesus was poured out for you. And we ask that you come in a posture of receiving and when you come, you will be reminded person by person because we want you to be blessed today as a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're, this is the first day you say, I want to follow Jesus. Come and remember him well. We have prayer during this time. Over to the side over here and I'll join over there. We offer you to come forward for prayer. Come forward as a couple. We just want to bless you. Come forward as a individual come forward as a whole family imagine if this was a day that later you look back and go remember that easter as a family we got prayed for remember that easter that me and my spouse got prayed remember that day i had to step forward you don't have to tell us anything we just want to pray and bless you you can do all of these things sing take communion get prayer but there's one final thing i want to encourage you with as well This is the gathering of the saints. This is the gathering of the followers of Jesus. We are not limited to these people who can do ministry. Who else can do ministry? You can do ministry. If God placed somebody in your head today, like, I just want to turn to my brother and pray for them, or turn to my sister and pray for them, ask them for their permission, especially if you put your hand on them, please. But if you want somebody else, you just say, I just want to pray for you. Let's do ministry here and here. My heart is that this, the family of God that's gathered or the people that have gathered to wonder what Easter is about. What is following Jesus about? This is what it's about. Authentic time with each other and God. Look back at this day as the day you decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to end our time with just praying this over you as we go. From Hebrews chapter 13 says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever Amen. Amen. God bless you. I hear there's still coffee and donuts, if that'll bless you as well. <laughs> you still have people available for prayer. But God bless you. Have an amazing Easter, an amazing day of resurrection and reconciliation. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Pastor Bill. Happy You're welcome.